if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us as we get rolling at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this free for all Friday edition. It is the 19th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord 2020, known in some circles as Juneteenth. It just depends on what circles you travel in, I guess. Uh, no, literally, strangely enough, I've heard of Juneteenth before, and I've heard of it really for a number of years because it's usually on some website or another, and it commemorates the um, the uh, end of slavery, the official end. Well, it, it, I guess that's kind of the bizarre part about this. The official end of slavery came with the uh, executive order, otherwise known as the Emancipation Proclamation, and that didn't even take effect until a couple of months later at the uh, on uh, January 1st, 1863, but June 19th is commemorating the end of slavery, even though it doesn't actually coincide with the, um, uh, with the Emancipation Proclamation. So for whatever reason, uh, this is the day that is commemorating the end of slavery, and I would like to start the show by doing the same thing, because obviously it is a, uh, it's a very, very important day. The end of slavery, again, whether it's June 19th or whether it's September or whatever, uh, it's extraordinarily important because it is the day that our nation began the healing process that continues to this day to end the abomination of slavery, which, by the way, unbeknownst to Democratic Senator Tim Kaine and others, uh, was not an American institution, was not invented or created by uh, America at its founding. Uh, it actually, slavery, of course, has its history in the history of humanity, in the history of human beings. And it goes back to long, long, long before the United States ever, ever became a concept in the minds of some oppressed people in England. Uh, and Michael Medved, by the way, just a little bit off topic to start the show. Sorry about that. But Michael Medved, uh, you know, who, of course, is a, a very well-known Salem personality, uh, wrote a book called uh, The Ten Great Myths of America, About America. And uh, the, one of the first chapters, and I read the book, and it's been years, but I read the book, was Inconvenient Truths, The Truth About Slavery. And, uh, you know, the idea, the myth was that he was debunking in his book is that slavery is and was uniquely an American institution. And it absolutely was not. In fact, it was the other way around. It was an ancient and universal institution and had uh, literally the history of humanity uh, as its uh, as its backdrop. 
So uh, I'm going to have Michael Medved on next week. We tried to get him for today to respond to that because it would have been a good day on Juneteenth, June 19th. But he was unavailable. But we're going to have Michael Medved on the program next week, Tuesday or Wednesday, to talk a lot more about that. Now, having said all of that, obviously, we continue with a lot of problems today, including the healing process, which apparently is not anywhere near being over and probably never, ever, 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 ever will be. In the history of history to come, I don't believe that the racial unity that many of us Probably most of us, no, not even probably, I mean, really most of us, the vast majority of us are hoping for uh, is ever really going to come. Not the type of unity, not the type of healing, not the type of we are all colorblind. I refer to you as a man, you refer to me as a man, not you as a black man, me as a white man, not you as a black female or a white female. We're just people. That's probably never going to happen because of human failings. That's just the bottom line. What we can do and what we have done is limited those human failings and stopped them from becoming uh, policy as a living body, an organism, if you will, of, of uh, population, of an entire population. The population cannot take human failings in an individual and apply them systemically. And they used to be that way in Jim Crow era, the Jim Crow era, and of course in the era, era of slavery in this country and beyond, that has indeed been the institution, the body uh, politic, if you will, the living organism uh, of, uh, of humanity, or at least of a particular culture, did indeed embrace uh, that sort of uh, discriminatory policy. But we don't do that anymore. And there are countries around the world where slavery, by the way, does still exist with the full knowledge and complicity of governments but it doesn't happen here. We are a free nation for all, and as much as we continue to strive, I'll go back to what I was saying, the vast majority of us want to see a colorblind society. It isn't going to happen, as long as there are human beings with human failings. But the vast majority of us will indeed make this a better place. It is a very, very tiny minority of us that want to continue to foment uh, racial division in this country. It just so happens that right now, they have a loud voice, and right now, they are winning in large regard. We're going to talk about that with Larry Elder coming up. The Sage of South Central will be joining me at 9.35 this morning, and I'm very much looking forward to that, uh, in large part because uh, he's not going to be heard tonight, and I will be. So this is the first of six hours of uh, Fran- Bob France Authority today, because I will be sitting in for Larry Elder tonight from 7 to 10 on AM 1420, The Answer. So he will join us to talk about uh, his new movie, which premieres today. That's why he's off. He's going to be in Dallas, Texas, uh, and he's going to be premiering at a Salem event, his movie called Uncle Tom, which deals with everything that I just said and then some uh, to an nth degree on steroids, if you will, when it comes to race in America, racial history, race in America today, and what is going to be the future of um, the uh, de- demographics, if you will, in the United States of America. Uh, will we ever unite completely as black and white America? Will we ever be a colorblind society? And again, I think that's very, very unlikely, no matter how much we try. Uh, and what are the obstacles to getting there? That's what Larry Elder will talk to us about. Uh, Larry is on at 935. He is our only guest today. I wanted to clear the, clear the deck somewhat for calls. We've been very guest-heavy this week as we talk about some of this very, very serious stuff. And uh, a lot of people have been left on hold at the end of shows. So today we are going to make sure that you get as many opportunities to speak 
as you can at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Cannot begin and do the first uh, the opening monologue in the first segment without bringing up yet another disaster in the Supreme Court of the United States. Chief Justice John Roberts, in my view, has apparently just decided he hates Donald Trump so much. And he does. John Roberts is a Bush appointee. He is clearly not the originalist or textualist in support of the Constitution that he was portrayed to be. He hates Donald Trump, hates his style, hates his his personality, and that's fine. But when he allows that hatred of Donald Trump to impact virtually every decision, including the obvious ones, we've got a problem. And Chief Justice John Roberts sided with the four liberals who are not concept, or not textualists, rather, but are conceptualists. They conceive of what they think things should be like now rather than deferring back to the originalists' intent when they drafted and wrote the Constitution. He uh, sided with them rather than with the law. He sided with them in, dis- in allowing DACA to continue. DACA is allowed to continue despite President Trump's attempts to end it. Remember, deferred action for childhood arrivals means exactly what it sounds like. Deferred action, not permanent residency, not path to citizenship. It means deporting them is going to be delayed a while. We're going to defer those actions of deporting these childhood arrivals. It was an illegal act when Barack Obama wrote DACA as an executive order. Barack Obama acknowledged that it was not within his power to do it, did it anyway. And here we are through the end of the Obama presidency and three and a half years of the Trump presidency, and it's still here. President Trump has been trying to end the, uh, the action or essentially to take the action deferred as it has been to end the unlawful decision and order by Barack Obama and Chief Justice John Roberts says yeah nah Um, it's not that we think DACA is right or wrong that's not what we're talking about Uh, we're not talking about whether DACA or its rescission are sound policies we only address whether the agency complied with the procedural requirement that it provide a reasoned explanation for its action there is no need of reason nor explanation beyond it was illegal that's it it was illegal when Barack Obama did it we are simply trying to end an illegal activity that's all there should be no reasoned explanation needed beyond that But that's what Chief Justice John Roberts did in essentially punting this in order to stop President Trump from having a huge victory four and a half months before the election. That's all this is, is John Roberts playing politics because he hates Donald Trump. So he used a procedural move in order to stop himself and the justices from reaching the lawful verdict. The lawful decision, which is exactly what Clarence Thomas, who truly is an originalist, said in his dissent. Today's decision must be recognized for what it is, an effort to avoid a politically controversial but legally correct decision. The court could have made clear that the solution respondents seek must come from the legislative branch. Instead, the majority has decided to prolong 
the Department of Homeland Security's initial overreach by providing a stopgap measure of its own. This, he argued, is more likely a political battle that will be fought through the Supreme Court rather than political branches where they belong. It should not be political in the Supreme Court. But that's what Roberts has done. Such timidity, said uh, Clarence Thomas, forsakes the court's duty to apply the law according to neutral principles, and the ripple effects of the majority's error will be felt throughout our system of government. Tom Cotton, last night on Sean Hannity, pulled no punches in his discussion of Chief Justice John Roberts. Chief Justice Roberts, time and time again, has elevated his idea of protecting the institutional integrity of the Supreme Court over following the rule of law. On the first Obamacare case and the second Obamacare case, as you cited, on the census case last year, we said a question about citizenship couldn't be answered. And now on this case today... Uh, Clarence Thomas and other justices made it clear in their dissents that the law cannot be that what Barack Obama has done, Donald Trump and no other president can undo. There cannot be two sets of rules allowing Barack Obama to issue decrees by memo enforcing Donald Trump or other Republican presidents to jump through all kinds of legal hoops to undo those decrees. What simply has to be the case is that there is one set of rules for both parties, for both presidents, and Chief Justice Roberts continues to rule in ways that seem designed to minimize criticism from Democrats and from the media. Bingo. 100% correct, Senator Tom Cotton. John Roberts wants to continue to placate. John Roberts has been stung ever since he was appointed by George W. Bush to be the Chief Justice. He's been stung by criticism that he might not be actually fair, that he might actually be too much of a conservative and tilt the court in a conservative manner. He's been he's gone over the top to avoid that label. He hates being criticized by liberals. He hates being called a, a conservative justice. He hates it so much that he stopped being a an actual fair and impartial, non-conservative, non-liberal, but just an originalist justice. And he hates the idea of giving Donald Trump victories. There's just no mistake about that. What Barack Obama did by memo should be able to be undone by Donald Trump by memo, by executive order. And they, instead of allowing the president to do exactly what Obama did, but in reverse, they are making him jump through, as you heard Tom Cotton say, all of these procedural hoops. And if you jump through the wrong one, uh, then it doesn't count and DACA is allowed to, to be upheld. It is simply criminal, and it's just another example of the destruction and the decay of our society as we have never seen. You know what's funny about it, and when I say funny, I mean sad and ironic, is that when Donald Trump was elected, the left said, Donald Trump is going to destroy America. Uh, We'll never recognize this country after he's done with it. And lo and behold, here it is, they were right. But not because of Donald Trump, but because of what everybody has done to stop him. From the court to the liberal uh, uh, House of Representatives, the Democrat Party, to governors, the Democrat Party has done their level best to create what they predicted. I destroyed America. We'll be right back. Nine twenty-five as we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Today's decision from the U.S. Supreme Court 
in Department of Homeland Security versus Regents of the University of California is disgraceful. Judging is not a game. It's not supposed to be a game. But sadly, over recent years, more and more Chief Just Justice Roberts has been playing games with the court to achieve the policy outcomes he desires. This case concerned President Obama's executive amnesty. Amnesty that President Obama decreed directly contrary to federal law. He did so with no legal authority. He did so in open defiance of federal statutes. And of course, he was celebrated in the press for doing so. Obama's executive amnesty was illegal the day it was issued, and not one single justice of the nine Supreme Court justices disputed that. Not a one. Chief Justice Roberts wrote the majority opinion, joined by the four liberal justices on the court. This is becoming a pattern. The majority assumes that DACA, Obama's executive amnesty, is illegal, and then bizarrely holds that the Trump administration can't stop implementing a policy that is illegal. Think about that for a second. Senator Ted Cruz, I have been thinking about that for many, many seconds. Uh, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the Supreme Court, the five members who voted in the majority here, didn't think about it at all. They just didn't want Trump to have a win. If DACA was rescinded before the election in November, it would have been a huge victory for President Trump for the rule of law. Understand, this Supreme Court decision simply supports the breaking of U.S. law. President Trump isn't trying to break a law. He is trying to enforce the law. And if they want to change the law, it has to be done where laws are made and changed. In the Congress, not in the courtroom. But those activist judges, including Justice John Roberts, completely ignored all of that. They all acknowledged that Obama or that uh, DACA is illegal, and then they said, "By the way, Trump, you can't stop that illegality uh, because you the procedures were wrong, and you didn't give a good enough reason." How about just the fact that the law is being broken? That's enough of a reason. This is a uh, this is a this is a very strange time that we are living in. This this goes beyond any reasonable comprehension. Uh, I mean, I know there's been left and right, obviously, forever, and I know there has been a political ideology war, ideological war that's been going on between the right and the left, and I know that there is even racial division, and there has been for a long time, but having all of these things stack up on top one another, of one another the way that they are in an election year is starting to lead me to believe that this is not just coincidence. It's not happenstance. This is happening for a reason. The chaos, the distrust, 
and the unhappiness, the general unhappiness, uh, unhappiness of the average in America of uh, the average American right now, I don't think is an accident. This is all being done for a reason. We'll talk more about that coming up. But next, after the news, we'll talk with Larry Elder, the sage of South Central, whose movie premieres today. It's called Uncle Tom. And Larry joins me next on AM 1420, The Answer. Conservative Christian Roots. Good Friday to you. Morning again. Thanks so much for being with us on AM 1420. The answer, as promised, you know what that music means. You've heard it before, and you're going to hear it again tonight. It's just that you won't hear the voice of the great sage, as I will be sitting in for Larry Elder tonight, because the sage has some place to be. It is movie premiere day. We've been talking about June 19th for a while. In fact, we had Larry on a couple of weeks back promoting his new movie, Uncle Tom, which does premiere today. And he joins us now, since he can't be on live with you 7 to 10 tonight on AM 1420, The Answer. Great sage of South Central, Larry Elder, how are you, sir? Bob, I am so happy to talk to you, and I'm so excited. How often does somebody have a premiere, a movie that comes out? I mean, I've been working on this movie now for two years, and today is the day. Today is the debut, and I could not be more excited. I would be remiss if I didn't start our conversation this morning, Larry, by asking you about the chosen date for this premiere. First of all, congratulations to you. You should be every bit as excited as you sound in your voice. But a lot of people are looking at the premiere date in the same way they looked at Trump's original date for his return to rallying in Tulsa, which, of course, is going to happen tomorrow. Was it intentional that you wanted to premiere Uncle Tom on Juneteenth? Absolutely, it was intentional. Uh, just as the title of the movie Uncle Tom was intentional, uh, it is a uh, derogatory name or, or intended to be derogatory that uh, I and Candace Owens, who's in the film, and Herman Cain is in the film, and Alan West is in the film, a guy named Bob Whitson in the film, and several others. Uh, this is the kind of name that we've been called for a very long period of time. Uh, and all we're asking is for an intelligent debate within the black community about uh, school choice, about whether or not we ought to be the party supporting Roe v. Wade, about whether or not we ought to be pulling the lever for the party that wants porous borders when the studies show that illegal aliens uh, compete for jobs that would otherwise be held by black and brown unskilled workers and puts down with pressure on their wages. And so I chose the date June 19th because that is the date that uh, we celebrate the Emancipation Proclamation. And by the way, I understand that there's a movement to try and make that a national holiday. So I chose in that date because of the significance to the black community. And I think in the black community, we need to start having a discussion. Why is it that 70% of black kids are raised without fathers? Why is it that there's a 50% dropout rate in some of our inner city high schools? Why is it that 13 high schools in Baltimore have 0% of kids that can do math at grade level? And by the way, 5 or 6 can do math 1% at grade level, which means nearly half of the high schools in Baltimore have students with either zero proficiency or 1% proficiency in math. Why is it that 25% of young black urban men have criminal records? What's going on here? And many of these cities have been run by Democrats for decades, uh, and they've been choosing these tax, spin, regulate policies, in my opinion, have incentivized women to marry the government and allowed men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And this discussion is not taking place in the black community because whenever somebody like myself or some of the other people I mentioned who are in the film, Bob, say this, we're shut down as Uncle Toms and self-loathers. It's not the name-calling that bothers me. It's the unwillingness to engage in a healthy debate that might advance the interests of the black community. That's what bothers me. And I'm hoping this film, when liberals see it, they'll see it and they'll say, I have been unfair. I have should I should have been far more empathetic and far more understanding of another point of view. Not that, not that I believe it's going to convert people into you know uh, libertarian, limited government kinds of people, but at least it will I think spark an honest debate, and I think it will cause some people to rethink their utter emotional, angry, hostile reaction to people like Clarence Thomas and Walter Williams and uh, Thomas Sowell, all of whom are featured in my movie. 
You know, Larry, we're talking to uh, the Sage of South Central, Larry Elder, uh, whose movie premieres today, uh, and it's something you can watch online at UncleTom.com. Um, Larry, of all of the brilliant black uh, men and women that you feature in this movie who have faced the insults and the slurs and all of the negativity that you just described, I don't know that any of them said it any better than a liberal UC Berkeley professor who wrote last week about this, and, and I know you've talked about it. It is brilliant. Now, I don't know if it's a man or a woman. They say they write as a person of color, and it's a letter to other Berkeley professors talking about the lie of A, Black Lives Matter, B, of uh, systemic police brutality, uh, C, of, quite frankly, the African-American experience in America being the responsibility of vicious, racist, white Americans, white supremacy and white privilege. I know you've talked about that before, uh, but i tell you what, it couldn't come at a better time for your movie, or your movie couldn't have come at a better time, I should say, that more and more African-Americans or people of color are speaking out on this. Absolutely, and the, and the thing about that person's letter is the intimidation he felt. He even or she acknowledged they have tenure and they're still afraid to speak out for fear that they're going to get fired. It's not only just the the lack of debate, but it's the consequences which is by just raising your hand and suggesting maybe there's another point of view, you're going to lose your job. This is this is crazy. You're going to get crazy canceled. When Drew Cancel Brees, culture. When Drew Brees, right. When Drew Brees <laughs> makes the most innocuous statement about, I will never agree with anybody who disrespects the flag. That's all he said. He didn't say, I don't want to play with you. He didn't say, I'm going to management to get you off the team. He didn't say, I'm going to get uh, the commissioner to change the rules. All he said is, I'm never going to agree with that. He apologizes, apologizes again. His wife apologizes. The editor of the New York Times that agreed to publish the op-ed piece of Tom Cotton resigned because some 800 staffers in the New York Times rebelled. A similar thing happened in the Philadelphia Inquirer when a editorial page uh, editor approved a headline about uh, a story about buildings burning, and the headline was called "All Buildings Matter," and that was deemed to be racially insensitive. And he resigns. This is nuts. It's showing you how powerful uh, the left culture is, how they've dominated Hollywood, how they've dominated media, how they've dominated academia, and Lord knows we've got to win in 2020 in November. Larry, um, I'm going to go back to the first question and back to the Juneteenth thing. First of all, you said that it is, and you're right, uh, there is a movement to make it a national holiday. I don't think I have a problem with that. It's one of the most important things that we ever did in this country was right the wrong of slavery, but maybe you can educate me on this. I believe the Emancipation Proclamation as an executive order was delivered on September 22nd of 1862, and it took effect January 1st of 1863. Tell me why Juneteenth is a thing. I have no idea. That's like asking me about Kwanzaa. I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, Somebody decided this was the date. Somebody decided that uh, this was a celebration, and everybody went along with it. Uh, I'm as perplexed about this as I am about the widespread usage of the term African-American, close quote. You've never heard me use that term, Bob. I think it's a ridiculous term. One time I interviewed a, a guy in the, with the L.A. Times, uh, and I asked him, why do you use the term African-American? Well, because it shows the uh, ethnicity of black people coming from, from Africa. I said, where are you from? He said, well, I'm from here. I said, no, where are your folks from? Well, my grandparents are from Russia. I said, then you're, then you're a Russian-American. You ever call yourself that? Well, well, no. I said, well, my people have been here longer than your people. Why do I have a dash in my name and you don't? And he said, so I, I don't understand a lot of things. I don't understand this whole, this whole protest. When you, when you look at the data, as you well know, 
If anything, the police are more hesitant, more reluctant to pull the trigger on a black suspect. Uh, over the last 75 years, according to the CDC, the percentage of blacks being shot by the police have declined 75%. The idea that there's some sort of epidemic, a word I've often heard. I even heard the word pandemic the other day. An epidemic or pandemic of blacks being shot by the police. It's a complete and total crock. And I don't get how it is that when I say stuff like this, the reaction, Bob, isn't, wow, I hope Larry's right. I hope, that's, I hope that's true, because that means the explanation is something other than racism, as opposed to your Uncle Tom, which is, again, why I've done the movie. Well, you know what? That's such an important point, Larry. And, and you know, it's, it's so weird, because a white guy like me needs to hear more black guys like you say these things, because when I say it, it's shut up, racist. You can't quote statistics, whether they come from the Bureau of, of uh, Justice statistics, mm-hmm. whether they come from the DOJ, whether they come from the Washington Post, which tracks all of the shootings in their database there. When I quote them, it's shut up, racist. When you quote them, well, it's shut up, Uncle Tom. But at least That's it right. gives us a shot here. And, and let me ask you about this, because you quote frequently the police involved shooting statistics from those sources that I just named. Uh, And I do too. But the one that I think that is most important here, because what we're talking about is less now police shootings and police brutality toward African-Americans, African-Americans. It's systemic racism. That is the pandemic. Systemic racism in America is what has made the black experience so negative. It's white America that has done all of this. So I bring that up to bring up the statistics that are really, really valid here, uh, Larry. And that is the fact that of all interracial violent felonious crimes committed in America, according to the FBI statistics, there were over 630,000 of them in 2018. I believe it's 2018. Uh, 630,000. That means where a black committed a violent felony against a white or a white against a black. Not homicide. Not homicide. Not homicides. These are felonious violent acts where violent felonies were charged. Okay. Fourteen point four percent of them were committed by white people against African Americans or blacks. Eighty five point five percent of the interracial violent felonies committed were by blacks against white people. People, but yet we're being told that it's white America that is committing this this horrific violent racism that is destroying the African American experience in this country. And I I don't understand why no one talks about that statistic, Larry. Well, I've mentioned it many times on my air, and again, people just ignore it. That's why it was so absurd when uh, Amon Arbery was killed in Georgia, and LeBron James, as you know, goes to Twitter and says, a black person can't even leave his house without being hunted down. Mm-hmm. Really? If you want to talk about black, white, interracial, non uh, homicide, violent felonies, as you pointed out, 85% black perp, white victim, only 15% the other way around. And, and let's talk about homicides. Most homicides are same-race homicides, but to the extent that there are uh, interracial black-white homicides, and there are some every year, last year about 750, 500 whites were killed by blacks, 250 blacks were killed by whites. So blacks at 12% of the population, at 13%, are committing twice as many, are killing twice as many whites as whites are killing blacks at 61% of the population. Hello, is this thing on? Well, you know, I mean, when you say that, 500 and some odd black perps and white homicide victims and, and less than 200 or roughly 200 of the other way around, one could perhaps go to social media and say white people are being hunted. <laughs> but I think that would be right. Right, and honestly, a Louisiana uh, a police uh, official got into trouble for saying this. He said it clumsily, but when you look at the 
violent crime rate of young black men. A young black male is eight times more likely to be a victim of a crime of a homicide than a young white male, and almost always that victim uh, is another young black male. You could argue that the fact that blacks are two and a half times more likely to be killed by, by the police is lower than one would have predicted based upon the crime rate. Right. And, and, but, of course, they don't account for the crime rate. I've read that stat, no. and I've seen those stories, and I've seen those arguments, and they never talk about the amount of interactions with police based on crimes, particularly violent crimes committed. Larry, we're a little short on time. How silly that is. That, that's like going to a baseball game. Your wife says, well, what happened? And you say, well, the Indians scored six runs. Uh, it doesn't tell you anything, does it? Tells you nothing. No, that's exactly right. What That's exactly what we don't know. We don't know if they shut them out or we don't know if they gave up no. 19 runs for crying out loud. That's exactly no right. You cannot have an intelligent discussion about the police, blacks, without talking about black criminality. You cannot have a fair discussion about that. Larry, last thing is I just want to talk about, again, the representation of African-Americanism, if you will, in America now, because we're all seeing, you know, the cancel culture in full effect. Uh, we know about Aunt Jemima. It was a racist stereotype, especially right. the original picture. It looked like a heavyset black slave. They have since, through the years, through the decades, they have updated the picture to look like just a normal black woman. This is Aunt Jemima. They're doing the same thing with Uncle Ben on the rice. They're doing the cream of wheat guy, Mrs. Butterworth. Um, it, it's kind of odd, because I, I actually read a complaint about Rice Krispies. Why do they only have three white boys on the box of white Rice Krispies? That's, that's, that's racist. But then when there is an African-American caricature or picture on something else, it's, hey, why are you doing that? That's, that's exploitative of African-Americans. How, how, do, how, do we, how do we do that? I mean, when you, you knew after Aunt Jemima was, was called that, that Uncle, Uncle Ben was dead man walking. It was just a question of time. No question. What's next? What, what, about, what about driving Miss Daisy? Is that going to be embargoed? Uh, how about white men can't jump? Can I still see that? I mean, what's next? Well, if they can you do know, it to the most classic movie of all time, Going with the Wind, yes, they can do it to those others. Well, how about to Barack Obama? I understand that on his mom's side there were slave owners. On his father's side, at least that part of Africa, there was a great deal of, of slave trading. So you could argue that Obama's got slavery on both sides of his family. Maybe we should remove his name from buildings. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let you hang that one out there. <laughs> that's an amazing point. I didn't get any. <laughs> no, that, that's an amazing point. That's an amazing point. But it is, I mean, but, but in all seriousness, Larry, I mean, is, does this help race relations to remove well, these things, these symbols, or does this just kind of further segregate us? And, and that's the other thing. Let's, let's suppose right now we develop a vaccine uh, to rid the country of anti-black racism. There, no, there are no more bigots in this country against black people. Does that solve the problems I mentioned before? Does that solve the 70% of black kids born outside of wedlock? Does that solve the 50% inner-city dropout rate? Does that solve the 25% uh, crime uh, record rate of young black men living in the inner city? Hell no, it doesn't do any of these things. And Malcolm X once said, the real problem with going on in black America are white liberals. And if, if white liberals got out of the way, black people would solve their own problems. There's a great book written by Jason Riley of the Wall Street Journal called Please Stop Helping Us. He's talking about all these social programs, whether it's uh, affirmative action, which causes greater dropouts, whether it's the welfare state, which is, in my opinion, destabilized the family. Please stop helping us and stop treating us like children to whom the truth cannot be told. Well, that's um, that's that's a great ask, and it's something that it, we would go. It would go a long way toward perhaps healing some of the divisions here if they wouldn't indeed treat African Americans like they were capable of handling this information as adults, and like they are capable of processing and making up their own minds. And Larry, isn't that at the end of the day what the De Democrat Party has been doing is treating African Americans like children for generations, quite frankly, in order to win elections, uh, d not daring to to allow them to think for themselves and look and see what's going on because they know that if they 
they lose more than 10% in any presidential election of the black vote, Democrats know they're sunk. They'll never win another election if they don't have 90-plus percent of African Americans buying what they're selling. And that is exactly, Bob, why I did this film, because people like myself, Candace Owens and the others, have to be maligned as Uncle Tom, because once we get black people to start thinking like individuals uh, and not like groups of an aggrieved party, uh, they're going to divorce themselves from the Democratic Party, and the Democratic Party knows that. So they've got to jump on people like myself and refer to us as people who are villains, out to get you, out to undermine your own interests. That's what they've got to do, and that's why I've done this film. Larry Elder, he is uh, premiering his film today. Tonight he's going to be in Dallas. That's why I'll be uh, honored and privileged. Thank you, Larry, for letting me sit in your chair uh, proverbially tonight uh, for the program. Uh, Uncle Tom is the movie. You can watch it at UncleTom.com. Uh, it premieres today. Larry Elder is the producer and the host and the star and the everything else of the movie that you absolutely must see. I think America must see. And, Larry, congratulations on getting the movie made on the premiere and obviously on the wonderful uh, attempt that you are making to try to bring some understanding between the races in this country. Well, Bob, thank you. And as Charlton Heston always said to me whenever he left, thank you for letting me borrow your audience. <laughs> In honor, Larry Elder joining us on AM 1420, The Answer to the Bureau. Larry Elder, uh, very, very excited for him. He's very happy, obviously, about the premiere of his new movie. Belief in God, belief in myself, and my belief in the United States of America. Being a black conservative is just natural. It's what my family raises on. Faith, family, individual responsibility, education, service to the nation, an entrepreneurial mind. Being a business owner in America is one of the greatest privileges of being an American. I think black Americans should believe and uphold the ideas of constitutional inherent rights. I always felt that if I worked hard that I could overcome the circumstances of my life. I never felt that because I was black or I was poor or a woman that I couldn't do something. Humans are naturally conservative. You grow up being told to work hard for what you got. You don't, you don't grow up being told you going to get something because you just want it. Like, you ain't got to work for it. But Democrats, they say, hey, we give you everything for free. That ain't reality. That's one of the three trailers for Uncle Tom, uh, which you can watch at UncleTom.com. The movie today and the trailers all at UncleTom.com. The uh, actual movie title is Uncle Tom, an oral history of the American black conservative. And I think it's a brilliant concept because we have heard from the likes of Larry Elder and Thomas Sowell and uh, Walter Williams and, uh, you know, younger conservative uh, voices uh, like uh, Terrence Williams, like uh, Candace Owens. You know, so we've, you know, we've got the senior generation, we've got the prime generation, we've got the young generation of African-American conservatives all speaking out in various places. And what Larry did was kind of essentially bring them all together to one place in this movie. It's just shy of two hours long. Uh, with a real, true, honest look at what it's like to be black and conservative in America and why it is so dangerous that there aren't more black conservatives in America because it's so dangerous for blacks to say, I am conservative in America. That's where the danger is. And that's what this movie spotlights. Uh, John is in Copley on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, John. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, have you kept yes, up sir. on this uh, Nakia um, Crawford murder on Sunday? Yeah. Okay. Terrible. Uh, it's, Terrible. 
pretty dis- distressing stuff. But I don't know if you noticed that by coincidence, I had listened to Michelle Malkin's interview with uh, Joel Gilbert on the Trayvon Martin hoax, and he was not very kind to the attorney Benjamin Crump. And uh, I don't know if you noticed that the Crawford family had hired Benjamin Crump. And did you read his Twitter before they they found the perpetrators? I did not. Okay, it's, it says, I was at a loss of words and we got the call from the Crawford family. Yet another life is born. Another hashtag, Nakia Crawford was taken us by a systemic, in capital letters, racism. No one could deny that. This must end once and for all. And, and then Tim Ryan said something similar. Uh, said, we mourn for Nakia Crawford. But more importantly, I'm worried about this. Uh, we need to have a more perfect union and our nation's uh, structural and institutional racism that it was built upon. And this is before the shooting. And I'm thinking, man, a white guy did this. And then, of course, they found three black perpetrators on this. But the, the narrative is already there before. They were looking for a white guy. They're hoping for a white guy. They're praying yeah. for more George Floyds. Look, I, I'm, I, don't want, was, I don't want to be... I don't want right. to. I don't want to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, go too far with this, but Benjamin Crump is an absolute profiteer on misery. That's what he does. He looks to inflame tensions, and he knows that the louder and the more obnoxious and the more uh, uh, provocative the, that he is in any of these cases that he's on, the louder he gets, the more he's going to get the next family to hire him and the next family to hire him so that he can sue his way, sue white America into being a billionaire. Look, that he is a, he is a, I, I don't know what Michelle Malkin said about him. I don't know what Joel Gilbert said about him, but I can tell you, uh, Benjamin Crump is an absolute racial profiteer. That's what he does. And what I'm not yeah. surprised at all to learn what you just said. He's praying, hoping for more George Floyds. The more black people that get victimized, particularly if there's a interracial action involved, uh, whether it's Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman, who's a Hispanic, or whether it's George Floyd with this white officer, the more of those that he can find, the richer he gets. Make no mistake that he has zero interest in, in racial unity, making changes, uh, trying to stop violence. He profits off of black violence and black victims. That's what he does. He hopes for more black victims because it means more green dollars. What, what do you think of what Tim Ryan also said? He's a congressman. Well, he's a virtue-signaling liberal white guy. That's what he is. That's what they do. Remember, he had to speak out because what are we told every single day? White vi- silence equals violence. If you don't speak out on it, even if you don't know the facts, that's why every white person who's uh, of note uh, spoke out against the shooting in Atlanta, despite the fact that uh, the police, and thanks for the call, John, i got to get to the news, despite the fact that the police officer returned fire with a deadly weapon after having a deadly weapon fired at him. And yes, that is exactly what a taser is, defined and codified in Georgia law as a deadly weapon. You know who said that? The DA, who is charging the officer, said that the taser is a deadly weapon, as per Georgia law. And guess what? When he said that was two weeks prior, when he was um, criticizing police officers for using tasers against rioters. So in other words, when a police officer has a taser, it's a deadly weapon. When the suspect has the taser, it's not a deadly weapon, and the officer is not in danger, and therefore he cannot return fire with his own deadly weapon. So, yeah, the Nakia Crawford story that uh, the caller just brought up, they made three arrests. They did indeed. 
The three people that they arrested in the murder of Nikia Crawford are Adaris Black, 17, Jayon Bivens, 18, and Janisha George, 24. All three are black. That was not what Benjamin Crump wanted to hear. It's not what LeBron James wanted to hear. It's not what anybody else who is trying to advance the narrative that white people are hunting down black people in 2020 America. Not what any of them want to hear. News Now, right back. 